Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Thanks for joining us today. Before we get started, be sure to check out Songs from the Front Seat, the latest album from talented indie singer-songwriter Charlie Kogan, available on iTunes, Spotify, Tidal, Amazon, Google Music. Be sure to take a listen. We'll have a link uh, on if you are checking this out on the website. Uh, but yeah, be sure to check out Charlie Kogan. Now on to the show. Uh, today on the podcast, our guest is a writer-producer who has worked on everything from The Simpsons to Frasier to George Lopez, Malcolm in the Middle, and School of Rock. Oh, and he's also got four Emmys. He is Jay Kogan. Thanks for coming on, Jay. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I appreciate you coming out. Yeah, I, I love being here. It's great. Um, so what we always start with is, since this is primarily a writer's podcast, although I'm sure we're going to get Simpsons fans although who isn't a simpson fan really though they're plenty yeah they're here i hear from them <laughs> yeah uh how did you get your start writing like when you first sat wrote something and realized hey this is something that i want to do Ugh. okay so <laughs> uh i got started writing by failing at everything else oh so my my goal in life when i started in show business my goal was to be not a writer like an actor or director or something else. Because my father is a writer. Right. And I saw him be a writer. And writing seemed really hard. Right. And writing seemed a little lonely. And writing seemed difficult. And what I knew about writers were uh, that they were alone in their office for very, many, many hours while there was fun things to do <laughs> with the family. Uh, and they weren't able to do them because they were busy alone in their office working. Right. Um, so that seemed sad and not great. Um, and um, so writing didn't seem fabulous to me. So acting seemed fun. I was a stand-up comedian for a while. I was a kid actor for a little bit. Um, I, did, uh, I was on TV shows and a few, a few things. And uh, I did some commercials and some other stuff. And I did okay. Um, I was okay comedian. I, just, I was in the Groundlings an improv group mm -hmm. here in LA. And then I, and I, but I, all the while I was also doing production assistant work on TV shows because I tried to figure out like, well, what can I do in show business? I knew I wanted to be in show business. That's what I knew. I said, I'm going to find a place for me in show business. Uh, and my last stop was going to be writing. Like the, the <laughs> final thing that was going to do would be writing. Uh, and then I was working as a PA on a show. I, I, I tried writing a script in high school with uh, my friend who eventually became a, uh, my writing partner, Wallace, Wallace Walidarski, who worked in The Simpsons with me. And I was also uh, writing partners on this particular script with a writer named Billy Ray, who is a screenwriter, right. famous screenwriter yes. now, and another famous screenwriter named Robbie Fox. Hmm. So all four of us worked on this show in high school that my father read and said, this is shit. Um, <laughs> and I've looked at it since, and he was right. It's shit. But... Um, uh, he didn't say those words. He would never say this shit. My dad doesn't talk that way. But the essence of it was, <laughs> right. it's not very good. Um, but uh, it was a variety show, uh, sort of variety sketch show. Uh, 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 and he didn't like it very much. So we were, I did that, and then we tried to write a New Heart episode. My dad was on New Heart, and he read that, and it wasn't to his liking. And so years later, in college, after college, we wrote uh, an episode of It's Gary Shandling's Show while I was a runner on It's Gary Shandling's Show, and I showed it to them, and we wrote it with my buddy from high school, Wallace Walidarski, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they liked it. And then they said, uh, uh, we, we don't like it enough to buy it, but we'll give you a shot to write another one. 
and uh, they never did. So we wrote another one without their <laughs> consent. They liked that one too, but they also didn't buy that. And then I showed that script to one of our consulting producers, whose name was Sam Simon. Oh, yeah. And Sam Simon was an executive producer on the Tracy Ullman show. Mm-hmm. The Tracy Ullman show needed writers. So they showed that to Jim Brooks and Heidi Perlman and Jerry Belson and Ken Esten. And I guess some, one of those people read it or enough of them read it and said, yeah, bring him in. Or maybe none of them read it. I don't even know. <laughs> but they needed enough people. They said, right. Sam likes him. Just bring him in. Right. Uh, and we pitched to them a bunch of ideas. They picked one. They said, write one. They read it. They liked it. They said, okay, you're hired to be on staff. And to them, it was an easy choice because they got two writers. Right. We're going to pay you the lowest amount of money that the WGA allows. And we'll have you work like slaves, just churning out sketches. And then we'll fix them. That was their, their scheme. Like, right. You write really shitty first drafts of stuff, and we'll make them better. Right. That was their idea. And, uh, you were the typing monkeys at that point. Yeah. yeah we'll yeah. just come up with ideas, and we'll... we'll I mean, we, we had tons of ideas, so we'll right. just write them. And then we would write them, and then they would change them. Uh, and that's what happened for the most part. And we would sit in rewrite rooms, and it was good, great education for, for us. And uh, that's what we did. And that Tracy Ullman show begat sure. The Simpsons. sure. And then, you know, we, we, by the time, a couple of years into the Tracy Ullman show, we went from staff writers to producers, like a co-producer. We, right. We, we soared up the chain of the uh, Tracy Ullman show. Uh, not and then us. you got to be the one looking at the other writers churning out no. ideas. And, no. <laughs> there were still no writers below us. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, actually, not true. There were a couple... One, one time there was a writer that came in and then left, whatever. but there was a couple of times, but really, it was really just us. <laughs> in lieu of giving us more money, they would ah, give us higher gotcha. credit. Right, right. So they was, we were still the kids. Right. We were like 22, and sure. we were still the kids. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll make you co-producer. Yeah, yeah, right. we'll make you some. So that we, we were producers, but we really weren't. We were still the kids. Uh, and then we were on The Simpsons uh, while we were on The Tracy Ullman Show at the same time. And that seemed like a lot of fun. You were right? doing them at the same time? Yeah. Wow. And currently. And uh, we were there when th- we were even just talking about the idea of what the show would be. And we were there in the development stages of The Simpsons. Wow. And that was really fun uh, with Matt and Sam. And it was really just, uh, for a while, it was just the four of us, Matt, Sam, and me and Wally, just wow. talking about what the show would be. Right. And just, that seemed like a wildly wonderful thing. Sure. So, um, so, what, so ultimately what got me into this gig was... Just falling into it. So you hear, you heard the description. I just fell into it, right? Slowly but surely, and it just—they kept paying us and giving us promotions and stuff like that. So we were doing it, and it was fine. It was great with my partner, and I had a, you know this buddy Wally Waladarski, who was this high school buddy of mine, and so we could bitch at each other when things went badly and and uh, celebrate when things went well, and and it was good. No, that's amazing. Yeah. At the inception of The Simpsons. Yeah, really. We're just yeah. walking around this uh, uh, mall, the West Side Pavilion, which is now being turned into a Google headquarters. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there was, a, there was once a place called the West Side Pavilion, and uh, we walked around it, and we were just talking about this place, and, and there would be a town called Springfield, and it wouldn't be anywhere, and it would have everything, and all kinds of stuff, and, and we didn't know what the characters were going to be. There's a family. They didn't have a names. Right. They were just people, a father, mother, and a, a The nuclear kids. family, so to speak. Yeah. And then we well, we didn't, we weren't sure what the career was going to be exactly. We talked right. about nuclear power plant potential. Um, and then we, uh, at one point, 
once we locked in on that, we sort of took a tour of the San Onofre nuclear power plant oh. to just take a look at what that was. Yeah, they like. shut it down, right? Since a couple, few years ago. They did, but it was still operating yeah. when we went to go look oh, at yeah. it. We went there to sort of look at it. And we went... So you actually did research on nuclear power. That's yeah. crazy. We went, we took a bus trip down to San Onofre, wow. and we were thinking, like, at the time, well, we were very anti-nuclear power. It was like the no-nukes right. thing. And um, now, it turns out, nuclear power is a lot more cleaner and better for the sure. world than other things. You don't know what to do with the nuclear waste, right. but it's still not... Totally earth destroying the way it's other not clean fossil coal. fuel. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, and we went to sort of see the, you know, the hideousness of a nuclear power plant. And we went there and it was actually really well, well run, mm-hmm. fairly safe, fairly clean. There was not much of, you know, the, 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 uh, we had to make all the horrible things up about a nuclear power plant, how poorly run it right. was. If Stup- you were to run this sort of into the ground right. and do a poor job, what would you do? Exactly. Yeah. Like everything had, there were safety precautions right. and people to, carefully doing things and <laughs> they, nothing like we showed. Right. Yeah, you know, we were very unfair. The very first episode we wrote, uh, Wally and I wrote, we just made up a three-eyed fish and like nuclear waste dripping into the water. Right. It was completely, you know, liberal propaganda against <laughs> nuclear <laughs> power plants and fine, but, you know, once again, we're wrong. Um, but maybe we're right. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that, but it was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, very interesting to see how it became a show. Right. You know. how You couldn't have had any idea unless you, although you guys are pretty omniscient in terms of <laughs> seeing the future of the show, you couldn't have any idea what it would become. We were Could not omniscient. <laughs> we did not know you the future. You guys seem to see the future, though, with the show, we right? We make a lot of jokes. <laughs> yes, Some of them are going to come true. Um, like Nostradamus. Exactly. Okay. If you say a lot, a lot of things, of things. Right. sometimes some of them accidentally come true. Uh, we did not suspect for a moment that The Simpsons would become as gigantic a massive cartoon. No cartoon had been on TV for many, many years. Right. And the ones that were were like, wait till your father comes home, which was a very a 730. Nobody gave a shit about it. Nobody cared. Um, and we just thought, okay, well, it's going to be like that, or uh, a small, you know, the best, the biggest show on Fox at the time may have been, you know, Mr. President or something. I don't know if Married with Children had been on before us. I think it came on after us, mm-hmm. but there were no big hits. The Tracy Ullman show was the most critically acclaimed, but again, it wasn't a big hit. Right. Nothing on Fox was a big hit. It's like was, we did okay. Um, and then The Simpsons came on. It was a huge hit. It was like mm-hmm. an actual hit. People came to the to watch it, and lots of people, big, big numbers. Uh, no one expected that, and uh, least of all us. And beyond the hit part of it, the cultural sure. uh, uh, sweep of it, that, that kids had T-shirts, and people would say, you know... Don't have a cow, Don't have man. a cow, man. Yeah. And it was on all this merchandise, and people were selling T-shirts off the side of the freeway uh-huh. like bootleg stuff like, right that's how like it was that's like, when you know you made it <laughs> yeah it was like star wars like right. it really had that big of Absolutely. a cultural impact and it was like wow that's crazy so uh we did not expect that at all as a matter of fact everyone uh, uh told my partner and me especially my my father and other really smart people sure my father's a really smart guy uh grant tinker is a really smart tv 
producer who ran NBC for a while and ran M- Mary Tyler Moore at the MTM company. Mm-hmm. He personally told Wally and me never to do this cartoon. He said, that's a bad idea. It'll <laughs> hurt your reputation. It'll hurt your career. This is your, you're at the nascent beginning stage of this career. It, it's a mistake. You know, you've just been let into show business. You're about to be kicked out by doing a cartoon. I don't wow. do it. Yeah. Um, so, but we did it anyway, figuring we're young enough. We can recover. You know, people let you do stupid things if you don't care about, you know, you're not getting paid that much anyway. So do it's 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 easy to get to do dumb stuff. And right. Um, and, and it worked out well. We rode yeah. that. We rode that roller coaster for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, as I stated in the intro, have four Emmy Awards. I do. Your father has three. Uh, he does. Does this come up in conversation at, at ho- family dinners during the holidays very often? It doesn't. It oh. doesn't. Although, um, it has. I, I, when I did win my fourth Emmy Award. Right. Was he it, rooting for Ally McBeal that year? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He was rooting for me. No, I'm he just saw, I'm totally he's so happy. joking. I'm totally and, joking. And my son has seen the three Emmys of my father and my four, and he would really like to win five Emmys. Like yes, he, he actually would, would like circle. to win five Emmys, and I that said to him, um, "Who Good the luck. hell knows that Emmy awards will even exist uh, when you're doing if you're doing TV comedy right. writing? What TV will there be the platform awards? Like, right. what will it be? Sure, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, like Bill Oakley's Steamies, right? exactly. Yeah, right. I don't even know, but but uh, so I, I but sure, yes, or five would, Grammys, he could win five Grammys yeah. and five Emmys and sure. five Oscars or whatever he wants to do." But yes, the, we're. Uh, he, my father's been very encouraging. He is. N- we're not competitive at all. Well, he is great. a, an, an incredible asset and has been to my career and my life. I was totally joking. I know, but <laughs> people but... think there's a competitive edge, and there's none, none. Yeah. Until until Charlie gets his fourth Grammy or fourth Emmy. Oh, I'm just, <laughs> it'll be the greatest day of my life. No, I'm I'm Charlie Cogan's biggest fan. Yeah, and, uh, I, I lo- appreciate you giving him a, his album a plug. He just recorded a song. A brand new song over the Christmas break that will be coming out on Spotify on the 22nd. Uh, 22nd just, of January. Of January, which is a couple yes. of days from now as we record. Right. Um, so Check that uh, out. It's called uh, um, Unmarked Ticket, I think is the name of the song. It'll be under Charlie Kogan. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, he just, on his, uh, on his uh, Instagram, he just released a little bit of the track today. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, What's his Instagram handle? I think it's Charlie Kogan. Okay. At yeah, Charlie Kogan. it's unmarked ticket, and it's uh, it's really cool. It's like a country song, although he'd kill me if I said it was a country song. But <sighs> he'd say it's a folk, right? Folk song, but it's it's a country song. It's like uh, it's a it's country a, folk. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, uh, it's about uh, it's a train song, but it's not really about a train. It's about taking a. Uh, uh, Trying to decide where to go in your life when you don't know where to go. Okay. It's a great song. He's a great songwriter. Yeah, that definitely sounds like oh, a folk man. song. Yeah, well, it's a great song. And, ori- and his original version of it was sort of a slow, somber, thinking, sort of Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash style song. Mm-hmm. And then this new version that he made of it, it's a little bit more upbeat, up-tempo uh, version of it, which is interesting, too. So I don't know. Right. He does interesting things. Yeah. Does he yeah. write as well? I mean, you know, he's a songwriter, singer-songwriter. Does he write as well? Like write comedy? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, he's, or... he's written award-winning plays. Oh, and great. Yeah, yeah. He's really 
smart and funny. And he's one of those people. Yeah, talented at everything. He's well, he's not great at everything. Like he doesn't clean his room and he doesn't know where to. His socks. But see, are. I bet you if he did it, he'd be good at it. He just doesn't want to. Do no, it. no. All right, all right. He's not. I was trying to help him. Certain out. certain things he's uh, he's not great at, but um, he's a good artist. He's oh. a good artist. He's a very smart, thinking, uh, appreciative artist, and he knows where his. You know, he thinks deeply, and that's pretty cool. Right. It's just on the surface of what you know. If you asked him, you know, did you leave that dish on the floor? He would say, huh? <laughs> but that, you know, absent-minded professor business, right. that kind of thing. Now, you're obviously a very funny guy. Yeah, not on this podcast, but <laughs> maybe some other places. No, is that natural? Does it come natural to you? Is it something you've worked at? Is it something that... Okay, so here's... How, what... how, how does someone become more funny? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I grew up in a house that yeah. valued funny. So my father's a comedy writer, my mom's kind of funny, and my dad loves funny, but he's very critical. He's a little critical. Mm-hmm. And, and to win his favor, being funny mattered. Mm-hmm. So over the course of a lifetime, from being a small child to being a, an adolescent, to win his favor, you sort of hone your craft and make a good joke right. and make sure the punchline's at the end and make sure that it's... Uh, as short as it can be, and all those kind of things that you learn in a writer's room. Uh, I learned uh, to entertain my father. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the things I learned may have put me... My father was born in Brooklyn in the 1930s, so his style of what's funny is different than other people's style. Of so I learned that style, the style that, that, you know, the Neil Simon style of funny. What's funny for, you know, what was funny for his generation, the George Carlin and uh, those people. So what may be funny now is different maybe than what his style of funny. And certainly he didn't, he doesn't always think what I write is funny. So, but I knew how to make him laugh in, in know his. Know your audience. Right? Yeah, I know his audience. So that's, so I learned that. And then I, have, I got a chance to build upon that. So, but yeah, everybody can be. I think you can teach craft. You can teach what's funny. You can teach people craft. You can't teach taste, I gotcha. guess, right? So yeah. you can't teach you can't teach people taste, but you can teach uh, craft. You could say, like the screenwriting courses, they can say, hey, every movie begins with a beginning and a middle and an end, and you have to have an inciting incident, right. and you have to have you know the character's hole in the heart and all those things. Those are all true. That's all craft. What those things are, that's art. And so, like, that's something that you have to come to with your heart and soul and your artist vision and and bring that. That's your taste. That's your that's something else. And I don't know that you can teach that. And I actually don't know that everybody agrees upon what's good. Like, I sure the people, the Joker just got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. Right. Got 11 nominations. 11 yeah. nominations. I watched that movie and I, it's not, my, not to my taste. Sure. I don't see the value of that movie uh, in the same way that the Academy voters <laughs> right. did, uh, which is not to say that it's not good. It's just not to my taste. Sure. So there you go. Horse races, you know. So. <laughs> um. You, like a lot of comedy writers, did stand-up comedy, you had mentioned. Yeah. How does that help your comedy writing? Or is it just something you fell into? And Gosh, I don't know that it does help your comedy writing. I think 
it can. Sure. Writing jokes. I think if you take comedy writing as as several different sections, part of comedy writing is writing jokes. Part of comedy writing is writing character. And part of comedy writing is writing stories. So stand-up comedians do all those things and can. Some, Stephen Wright just writes jokes. He doesn't right. really have a persona, a, a, a persona. Um, some comedians have a persona, and so they're writing to their character. They're, they're writing jokes, but they're writing jokes to their character, and that matters. Uh, uh, comedy writing for TV, you have to have that insight to many characters, not just your own, not just the one character. Um, but I guess when people tell stories on, as a comedian about other people, they're also embodying the characters of other people. So that's kind of true. And then those stories hopefully have a beginning and a middle and an end and all that other kind of stuff. Um, in addition to that, you learn, you know, uh, action. Right. You learn that scenes take place that have beginnings, middles, and ends. And things have starts and ends and, and little pieces. Every little scene has to forward the story in some way, shape, or form. And you sort of... All those things... And, and, and ultimately, you have to figure out a story that's worth telling. And why do you want to... Why is this story different? And how is it different than a million other stories like it that's been told before? And why is it not boring? And why is it... How are you going to entertain the audience? And all that other kind of stuff. So there's a lot that goes into it, uh, comedy writing. But to be a stand-up comedian uh, is helpful because you, know, you learn your joke writing, you learn your persona skills, and mostly you learn to fight your fear. To stand up on stage and to tell a joke is risky. And to tell a joke in a writer's room is also risky. You're going to say something and a lot of people are not going to laugh. Most, many of the times you tell a joke, people are just going to stare at you and just say, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, if you're in a nice writer's room, people will nod and go, oh yeah, well that was a nice pitch. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> not try. every pitch. Yeah, good try. Yeah. Um, uh, or if you're in a mean writer's room, they go, oh man, that sucks. <laughs> wow. Make fun of you. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> go home. Uh, but, but you're inside either way. If it's a nice room or the, or the mean room, either way, you're dying inside. If you pitch something and that it doesn't dies. go over, right. it's an arrow through your heart because you wanted it to be good. Sure. So you have to have a thick skin and then get ready to pitch another one. Right. You know, you didn't get that one in, pitch another one. When you start out, when you're first starting out those first few years, you live and die with every joke. You think you suck so badly if your jokes don't get in. If you're done doing it for a couple of years, you know, five years, six, you realize that it's a long game. Mm. And yeah, a lot of jokes won't get in. And even the jokes that do get in won't stay in. And sometimes the ones that do stay in don't get laughs from the audience and right. they get cut out. And the ones that you thought sucked worked and you don't know. And so... The more you work, the more you realize you don't know and the less of your own ego that you invest in every single joke. But when you're young, it's sort of like, my joke. Right. You really take ownership of your own joke. And, uh, and so it's, it's hard. It's hard. So that bravery of being a stand-up comedian helps that. The improv work I did at the Growlings really helps that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really great rule for, for writers to do improv is great because in the moment... You don't have time. If you're in a writer's room, you have to think of something in the moment. Sure. You have a situation, and you have to think instantly of, of choices for everyone to hear. And that's part of what you do in improv. Right. Yeah. 
Are there any jokes that you're especially proud of from like that stand out that have stood the test of time from the Simpsons or Frasier or anything that you know, like I wrote that that was that one still sticks around and still makes you laugh to this day. There are some, but it's embarrassing to go over because and also, you know, if, if uh, I've probably said the same joke over and over again in many podcasts. Sure. The one thing I on the Simpsons I talk about a lot is the uh, is Homer falling down the cliff. Right of uh, <laughs> Bart the Daredevil, which is my favorite, one of my favorite sequences that I helped write. And then the ambulance comes, picks him up, runs into, and he falls he out. Fall, he's, the curtain goes out. The whole thing from the beginning right. that he that he's <laughs> flying over the, he accidentally gets on the skateboard, he's flying over yeah. the cliff, and then he's gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. I make it. And he does not make right. it. It's like very Warner Brothers animated. Right. You can see him sinking just below the level of the cliff, and then he smashes into the rocks. And then when he smashes into the rocks. Unlike uh, Looney Tunes, he really smashes into the right. rocks. He's, he hurts himself and gets bloody every time. Lands in the cactus patch. Lands in the cactus, <laughs> falls down, and he hurts himself. He's, he's broken, battered, and bloody at the end. A helicopter picks him up, takes him, and then smashes his, his gurney <laughs> yeah. into the rocks as, as he's, he's getting picked up. up. They yeah. put him in an ambulance. They, they shove him in the ambulance. It hurts his head again. The, the ambulance takes off, smashes into a tree. <laughs> the ambulance opens up. The green falls down the cliff again. Right. It's very funny to me. Right. It's very um, Buster Keaton. I mean, it's the, sure. the old silent movie stuff that I loved and and sort of grew up in film school on and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, awesome to me that we got a chance to do it and it was directed so well and it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> And I just, I see it and it makes me laugh. Yeah. That is not the only joke that I love. Sure. But there are many, many jokes I love. I love. And when I watch The Simpsons again, the, I, I see jokes all over the place. Some that have my name on it, some that don't that I love. But, you know, I also see jokes that are, have my name, uh, scripts that have my name on it that other people wrote jokes on that are really great. So. Now, are there any jokes that you sort of left on the table? Like jokes you thought were exceptionally funny that they're like, mm, it, it, they got cut or that didn't make it. Or they're like, you are sure it would have worked. And yet, you know, Sam, the Simon. The one or like, thing mm, that I remember writing yeah. that I liked a lot that got ruined to me <laughs> was on the Tracy Ullman show. We used to do sketches. Yeah. And this particular sketch I wrote um, with... The the sketch was this woman fell in love with a ventriloquist dummy. She was she was invited her friends over to meet her new boyfriend, and her new boyfriend it turned boyfriend. Why did I say it like that? Her new boyfriend, <laughs> um, her new boyfriend she reveals is this ventriloquist dummy, mm. and so she's holding this ventriloquist dummy, and her friends are concerned about this girl and saying, "What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. I'm in love." And it's like, well, you're gone crazy. I'm not gone crazy. I'm in love with this this person, Bob, let's say his name was. Uh, he's he knows what I'm thinking. He says the right things. He knows how to, you know, soothe me, all that kind of uh stuff. Uh you know, he's he's there for me all the time. He doesn't abandon me. All the things that you want from a boyfriend, this ventriloquist dummy does for her. And she says, well, we think you need to see somebody. I said, well, I think you guys need to leave. So she chooses the ventriloquist dummy over her friends. Right. And she leaves. And then my ending of the sketch was the ventriloquist dummy then begins to break up with her. <laughs> and says, this is not working out. Right. I'm just not comfortable. Uh, it's not you. It's me. Right. All this kind of stuff. I loved the ending of that sketch. 
Tracy Ullman show executive producers instead of that ending, which I thought was really great, uh, decided just to have her sing the song Crazy by Willie Nelson, oh, Patsy Cline, yeah, yeah. because they loved having her sing songs. And I, it broke my heart because not that anybody cares and it's just another thing. I just thought it was really yeah. structurally just made me happy. Right. And that happiness was ripped, ripped asunder. <laughs> okay, so we talked about your stand-up work, your improv work, as well as, you know, jokes that may have worked. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm very about. accomplished, Kevin. I'm a very accomplished. You have four man. Emmys. <laughs> I have four Emmys. Yes. I had like 14 nominations. It's very yes. exciting. Whoever's listening to this podcast right now, if you've won five Emmys, please raise your hand. <laughs> I know I'm a lot sure. of people who actually have many more <laughs> Emmys than me. <laughs> but, but are they listening to this podcast? Well, maybe. Actually, they maybe. They maybe. might. Yeah, yeah, right. But if you're not raising your hand right now, then you are not a psychologist. By the way, anybody who stayed at The Simpsons longer than, than Wally and I did <laughs> have many more Emmys than we do. They all, they just like won a bunch of them. Right. Yeah. It, it seems like you've done, you, you spent a number of years on The Simpsons, mm-hmm. and as well as on other live action things, you know, like Frasier mm-hmm. and School of Rock. Was it difficult since The Simpsons, granted you did Tracy Ullman, but, you know, again, a sketch show also seems to test boundaries. And what I mean by that is you, you can think outside the box, I think, much more on a show like The Simpsons where you, you have the world, but because it's animated, mm-hmm. you can, you know, go into space, whatever. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, obviously a live action show, especially a, a multicam, can be, you know, you have to you know, uh, work your writing around what you have. I don't know that it's true that a multi-camera show can't do what a single-camera show can do. Now, it certainly can't do what an animated show can do. Animated show sure. can go anywhere at any time for a, the briefest moment. Right. You can write a, a joke that's a, an eighth of a page in a <laughs> brand-new place. Right. And, and you don't have to... The cost of building a set is very minimal. Right. It's drawing it. So if you want to go to space for an eighth of a page, we can do that. Right. On a single camera show, to go to space for an eighth of a page costs money. We have sure. to build space. Right. Whether that's a green screen and a spaceship and a space costume and all that, that costs money. Right. For an eighth of a page, it's a consideration. On a multicam show, again, for an eighth of a page, right. it's the same consideration. Um, on a sketch show, it's the same consideration. On, on the Tracy Ullman show, most sketch shows... You're in one room. Sure. You have a couple characters, and they're talking. That's what most sketch shows are. Most uh, 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 multi-camera shows are living room sets and yeah. you know office sets, and they have a couple main sets and then a swing set or two. Uh, that is true also of single-camera shows. Single-camera shows yeah, have the main set true. and a couple sets and some swing sets and maybe a few exteriors. Uh, most multi-camera shows also do exteriors and they do all that kind of stuff. So they kind of do the kind of the same thing. I've seen multi-camera shows where they crash cars through the house. Uh, I've seen multi-camera shows where they do fist fights. I've seen multi-camera shows where they throw people through windows and other kinds of Does it look the same? No. Because one's kind of doing a theater piece and one's sure. kind of doing a movie. Uh, but you can do just about anything um, with either. Right. Tonally, they're a little different, and the reality you're selling is a little different. So if you're saying, Frasier's in space, <laughs> uh, it doesn't feel that you have to really... People aren't going to believe that Frasier's in space. It's a theater piece. So people believe that we are watching a theater show of Frasier in space, I think, right. versus watching a little movie 
of the blackish people in space or whatever right. that is. It's just different. It just feels different. But I think you can do either one. And I guess I should have framed it more like, was it a transition for you going from The Simpsons to live action and animated show to live action again, being able to write, you know, it's limiting. It's lim- the, the, the difference. The real difference was going from a sketch show to The Simpsons, mm, going from a sketch I show see. where you're locked in a room with only two characters to going to The Simpsons where you have a million characters <laughs> right. and no rooms. So I, I knew I knew how to write for a couple people in a room. Sure. And I, then I was like, oh, I'm free to do this. It's fabulous. The first couple of shows we, we went into the world of development right after we left The Simpsons and we started writing pilots and they were single camera film pilots. And so we tried to do them like The Simpsons. Oh, we I tried see. to do them big. We had multi- many characters. We had interesting locations and that kind of stuff. Um, and so we tried to make it as, as interesting and as, as fun as The Simpsons. So that was our model. We couldn't do it as big or as fast as The Simpsons, but we could make it as interesting, and we tried to do that. But no, it wasn't. that's not hard to do to pull it down to reality from The Simpsons. The single camera world is slower. Hmm. You can't talk as fast. You can't do as much. You can't cram as much into an episode as you can into a cartoon. Sure. Um, so that's different. But otherwise, there's the, the sensibility can remain the same. Um, and it's interesting to watch different tones of different shows and see how they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, see how great shows really sort of get it right. To see how The Office, which is a great show, sure. gets it right. And they go slow. And they don't leave that office much. They're right. just in one Absolutely. room. Yeah. But they get it right. That's their tone. That's, that's what makes them wonderful. Um, Fleabag is a great show that gets it Brilliant right show. and does it right. It's a single camera show that, that, that gets it right. There are other shows that, you know, Big Bang Theory was a great show that mm-hmm. got it right. That's a multi-camera show sure. that has a great tone. And they get it right by not trying to tell too big a story. They tell a very, sure. very small story and just let the characters sit amongst themselves and tell that small story. But mm-hmm. be, let the characters sort of breathe and live. Right. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. So, I, I mean, th- those are the lessons you learn is more by watching TV than by uh, anything else. To me, I was a big TV watcher when I was a kid anyway. I watched everything, so still doing it. Well, what were some of your favorite shows growing up? Well... I will say that w- most of the shows I watched growing up were not my favorite shows. They were shows I just watched okay. because I was a bored, fat kid. <laughs> so I watched, you know, I Dream of Jeannie and I Love Lucy and Green Acres and Petticoat Junction. Great and... shows. Okay. Um, no, yeah. I Love Lucy, I think, is classic. Yeah, my I Love wife Lucy's all right. Every single one. I, I think it's... I've seen every single episode of all the shows. Yeah. Uh, I will say that all, a lot of the shows I mentioned, including I Love Lucy and I Dream of Jeannie... Uh, provided me with a certain amount of anxiety because I got really mad at, I get really mad at characters who do something that is very stupid (laughs) and, and clearly stupid and something that will get them in trouble. Right. Knowingly get them in trouble. Like you have to get a character. I want a character to be a little smarter. I don't mind them getting in trouble doing something they don't necessarily think they'll get in trouble or trying to avoid the trouble, but getting in trouble another way. Lucy just knows she's not supposed to do a show right. and then does it anyway and then is surprised when she gets in trouble or something like that. It, it, it's frustrating. Um, <laughs> but she, she's great. 
Yeah. The show is great and the characters are great and so well done that of course it's fabulous. But I do get a little frustrated at, at her. Gotcha. Uh, but the set pieces are so brilliant. Yeah. When they do them, they're perfect. So you can't get too mad. Um, not, not so of I Dream of Jeannie. She's mad. <laughs> Major Nelson tells Jeannie to cut it out. Right. I don't want any magic. She does it anyway. Right. And that gets him in trouble. I get mad. I was nine. I said, like, <laughs> he set the rules. Just right. follow the rules. Um, but I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I, oh man, I loved Monty Python. Sure. I loved, um, uh, uh, you know, I used to like watch shows like Laugh In. I used to watch the Tonight Show. I thought that was great. I watched the Mary Tyler Moore show and the Bob Newhart show and MASH and um, the Carol Burnett show and uh, Taxi and Barney Miller and, you know, all these great shows that were on. Right. And I just loved them. Yeah. Going around on Twitter, uh, a lot of people were chiming in on Cheers being sort of that show for comedy. Like, if you're a comedy writer, if you're a fan of comedy, that's the show that you need to watch. It's perfect. Uh, in in your mind, what what show out there would you... Again, you would mention your angst with watching stupid characters. Mm -hmm. and, but what show out there would you say, you know what, to someone who comes to you and says, I really want to learn great comedy. What show... Should I watch? I guess don't watch something that's 30 years old. I would okay. say watch something right. that's... Right, you were talking about, the, you know, the Watch something that's now. Sure. I mean, watch Fleabag. Watch, watch something that's, that, that's everybody's thrilled and excited about now. Watch... Um, what do you watch? Big Bang Theory. Watch, yeah. Oh, I watch, I watch Fleabag. Yeah. I watch, Big, I watch Big Bang Theory. I watch Modern Family. I watch... Yeah. Uh, Perfect Harmony is a good show. I just watched that on oh, TV. I don't know it's that really show. good. Yeah, very smart. Um, uh, there's lots of shows, some of which are on network, most of which are on platforms or cable. And sure. There's really fun, interesting shows. All of it's truly a golden age, mostly for drama. But every now and then, there's a comedy that that comes along that's that's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, there's there's definitely you know there's. Larry David's coming out with another set of his show, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. There's uh, uh, Barry, and then there was uh, Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, and yeah. all those shows. You know, some of those shows, um, I'm not laughing as much as I want to be. Some okay. of the shows I'm just watching, yeah. and I'm watching the story. I wish were funnier, but I'm always in. I'm intrigued, and I'm watching. I'm in. I'm involved. Yeah. Um, I want to laugh. Some of those shows really want to laugh, like. The last version of Fleabag was just great. Yeah. I don't know if it was hysterical, but it was great. It was such a good show. Yeah, so it's good. But good and funny are two different things. Like, I'm not sure... I'm not sure I'm always looking for funny. I'm looking for good. Right. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I tend to try to write funny, but sometimes uh, funny sometimes equals goofy. Right. And goofy sometimes takes away the tone and... People take things less seriously, and so you have to figure out where in the pantheon it can live and how seriously people will take it. If it's too silly, right. people won't take it seriously, and people might not even like it. Yeah. Now, how would you describe the types of comedy? You know, obviously there's physical comedy, there's jokes, um, like I noticed, like there's comedies like The Office, mm -hmm. which is situational comedy, uh, and it's a lot of quirky humor. 
versus a, a, a comedy like Roseanne, which is very, you know, joke driven, punchline driven. Um, how, how would you? I think there's a lot of jokes in the office. Yeah. You think there's jokes in the office? No, I definitely think there are, are jokes, but to me, it seems like there's, it, it, I don't know why. It feels less like a setup. Like, like I think maybe because there are no man. people laughing on the office. There's maybe no that's what it is. There's maybe no soundtrack of people laughing, but there really are jokes. Yeah. If you had to put a laugh track on the office, you could. Yeah. And yeah. people would be laughing. Yeah, we should try that. Um, experiment. And, yeah. uh, and I mean, when, I, mean <clears throat> I don't know. The office is a workplace comedy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Roseanne is a... Is family, a comedy. family comedy yeah. or the Connors as it is now. Oh right, right. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I you don't, don't look at them differently. I mean, one is in front of a live audience. Yeah, yeah. And one isn't. So, like, sure. like I say, there's a different tone between a theater piece and a movie piece. Right. Um, but I don't look at them too differently. Okay. I just think, you know, how. How real did they take themselves? How seriously did they take themselves? How real did they take those characters? Right. How broad did they get? How silly? It's the complaint people have with The Simpsons. Some people say, well, The Simpsons went off the rails right. because X. Sometimes they say, and I don't know what X is. X is, is, went, is too, it became too silly or Homer's too dumb or they don't <laughs> believe that, that uh, um, they're taking themselves uh, real enough or they've repeated too many things. or I don't know whatever their complaint is. Um, I'm not sure I agree with any of those things. Right. I think The Simpsons is great. It was great. It's probably as great as it ever was. Senate Live is as great as it ever was. Right. That people just complaining because they have a nostalgic image of what they remember it being when they first saw it. When they first saw it, it was great because they never didn't expect it. Sure. After 30 years, you expect it. Right. So if you have a great, great chef making the great, great food for 30 years... It's not going to be as interesting the 30th year. It's going to be still very good, but right. you won't be as surprised by it. Your taste buds won't come alive because they're wild with the, this new flavor. It'll just be nostalgic. It'll be just, oh, yeah, that tastes good. That tastes right. like it did three years ago uh, when I liked it then. So I don't know. Um, you know I'm, not, I'm not even sure what, what the question is I'm a- answering, but so we were talking about tone. So uh, uh, how broad, how silly can we get? Or how, and, and still be funny and still sure. be real is the question. I don't know. Some some shows get pretty silly, and and I mean Monty Python is pretty silly, right? Uh, and it's really funny, but they're not real. The sure. argument you're not supposed to believe it's absurd. You're not supposed to believe the argument sketch. Right. You're just supposed to appreciate the genius of it, um, and that's fine. Right. That's what it is. As opposed to yeah, like Roseanne, which is definitely gra- much more grounded. Yeah, that's yeah. Roseanne is supposed to you're supposed to see yourself in that or see a family right. you know or see the real real American life in that. Right. And uh I think there's a certain point in time people did. Right. Uh they meant not anymore, but they did right. when they first went on. Right. Um so that's good. If you can do that, if you can show America itself in some way shape or form, that's a victory. Right. That's something special. Now when uh, The Simpsons first started, or even when it was on Tracy Ullman as sketches, I don't remember Homer being as obviously dumb as he became in, in later seasons. Was that sort of a conscious decision by you guys? Or did it just some, at one point, it just kind of happened? It was like a flip the switch. Hey, that's pretty funny. Let's just go with that. I think it was Homer became stupid as we started writing him more stupid. Right. We, start, we, we, we didn't write him as... In the cartoons, he was angry. 
Right. And right. in the in the in the in the show, he was stupid. Mm-hmm. In the cartoons, he he talked like Walter Matthau. He literally that was the imitation was Hey there, kid. Right. Get yeah, out yeah. of here. You know that's no good. Uh, and in the cartoons, he was like that's stupid. He talked <laughs> like an idiot. And so uh, that was Dan Castellaneta sort of approaching the character as we were writing it. He was getting dumber and dumber and dumber the more we were writing it because we were, <laughs> as writers, having fun with how stupid he was. Right. Um, and it was so much fun to have a dumb guy. This was, of course, in the late 80s, early 90s, when it was no longer appropriate to make fun of anyone else but a white guy. Sure. Um, and although people thought we were making fun of Apu or somebody else, I think. Um, so, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we didn't think we were making fun of Apu. Right. But... Um, uh, anyway, uh, um, if anyone was offended, and people, I guess, were, that's that's our bad. But anyway, the uh, white guy was the easiest guy to make fun of. So we made fun of him and made him stupid. And that was... Married with Children did the same thing. Everybody sure. uh, made fun of the dad. Right. And he became that character. That's the cliche now. The dad of the family is the idiot. Right. And that's now the... Uh, but... We did that with Homer and, and very successfully. Mm-hmm. To some people's taste, too too successfully. He's too stupid, but I don't know. Now, when you... Because um, we have a lot of writers who listen to the podcast, aspiring writers, newer writers. Um, when you work on a show, is it always... Uh, like when you uh, are in a staffing meeting or when you are, you know, seeing new writers come in, um, other than what's on the page... What stands out to you? What makes new writers that come in? First, it's yeah. what's on the mainly what's sure, on the page. Absolutely. You better have a great script. Right. A script that, that, that appeals within the first five pages. It better be funny. It better start a good story. Because otherwise, it literally, people read the first couple pages. If they don't like it, they throw it. Right. On the, on and that's script. not an exaggeration. No, literally, yeah. they will not finish your script. There's too many scripts to read. Yep. They don't have the time. Right. So, I mean, they're reading stranger scripts. And so they will just go through the entire pile. I've done it myself. There's literally there's a, a pile of 200 scripts in front right. of me. Each one of them are 45 pages long. Right. I have to find a staff. I'm not going to go through every script. Right. So start with a great script and maybe several. And right. uh, then when they come in, I want that person to be like any job. Imagine you were applying for a job at a, uh, a, 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 you know, a tire company. company. Right. You know, uh, be excited about tires. Right. <laughs> uh, know your tires. Right. Be excited about tires. Be excited about this tire company. Right. Like, let, be excited about the show. Know the show and, and be excited about the show and know the, the showrunner and be excited about their work. Have some ideas about what the show might do in the future. Um, don't be um, annoying. Don't have annoying ticks okay. that are, you know, like if, if, if you have really great ideas, but every three sentences you go, <laughs> that might be difficult in a room right. that I'm going to be with this person for, you know, nine months in a room right. for very long hours. And they go, <laughs> every um, six seconds. Right. That yeah. might be difficult. Uh, don't be jerky. Right. Um, be kind. Be a pleasant person. Sure. That really helps. Um, I'm going to call around about you, you know, right. who, um, who have you worked with before? And I'm going to find out recommendations about you. 
I'm going to look at your resume and see other people that you've worked with. People, not only the people you said, hey, call this person, but right. other people that you've worked with and say, is this guy or girl really good? Um, it'll help if you have diversity. Sure. It'll help if you're a partner with somebody. Mm -hmm. Two writers. Two writers, maybe. Um, The price of one. Yeah. Although, hopefully, our union is changing that. Um, But right now, that is a concern. I mean, the the guild would say, hey, fight to pay those two writers more, but the studio will say, screw that. Right. We'll pay them the minimum. And then they're they're an they're an entity. Those two writers right. are one entity. Right. They will be paid what one entity gets. Right. But I want to fill up a room. I want those bodies yeah. to be funny and interesting. And so there's that. Um, so uh, diversity, uh, people of color, women, uh, it helps if um, good recommendations. Um, of course, if I've worked with you before uh, and you've been great, that's an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Or if you've worked with somebody I know, that's yeah. great. You know, that, that, that helps. What else? Um, that's it. No, I mean, you know, don't, don't be downer. Have energy. Right. Um, uh, you know, th- there's an energy that people have uh, just when you meet them. Right. If there's this negative, if you're feeling a negative vibe, even if it's unsaid, that's going to be uh, problematic. I think they're like, well, really, I, I really like the material, but they seem so... So down in the room, like I feel like it's going to really hurt everybody else. It's going to bring everybody down. Right? You don't want to be that person. Right? So um, if you are that downer of a person for, for that meeting, for that 20 minutes, bring it up. Right, right. You know, just hold it up for a little bit. Um, I think that, that, that would be it. And just do your best. And then go, and call back and write a letter at the end of it saying it was really great to meet you. And yeah. again, if you were working at the Firestone Tires, you'd do the same right. thing. You'd, you'd, you'd send a letter back and say, like, Mr. Firestone, it was so pleasure to meet you. And right. even if it, this doesn't work out, I hope we can work again on some other project. Right. And, you know, be... And me- you might. Yeah. Even if it doesn't work out that time, they'll remember. Correct. Be yeah. menschy. Be kind, be uh, thick-skinned, know that there are a million people, and know that if you do not get the job, it's not necessarily anything that you did or didn't sure. do, that there's a, a mix of people. That yeah. Really, it's like putting together a, a basketball team. Right, like you, absolutely. They're, they're, you're filling in spots for different people who do different things or who, at least in the, in the mind of the people putting the staff together, fill in different requirements of right. different points of view or different styles or different financial you know, arrangements and I only have enough money for this kind of people for this thing and this kind of people for this thing. And right. That's it. And so, um, yeah, and this, cause, yeah, cause I've heard of staffs that have six upper level experienced veteran writers and maybe one staff writer. And I've heard of staffs where it has maybe three upper levels and like 12 staff writers, you know, or story editors. It's much more common end. to have three and three. Yeah. It's much more having three upper, three lower, and that's it. That's what has been happening lately. Okay. Um, and and is that for a 22 episode or is that for like a 13? Most shows yeah. start with a lower pickup and then get 13. to 22. Yeah. Yeah, but um, no, I mean, if you, have, if you have a larger pickup, if you have 22 episodes, mm-hmm. I think the staff is larger. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? But, um, but I mean, yeah. So, so you don't, you can't take it too personally. Sure. And by the way, this goes for me too. I'm, I audition for shows all the time. And you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pleasant. I'm nice. And when somebody says you didn't, it didn't happen. You say like, I, I get it. Thank yeah. you. And I hope we work again on something else. Right. You know, it's the way it goes. Just be careful. Of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been on the other side of it, so yeah. I know it's not personal. 
Sure. Um, and and uh, you know, it's just how how the chips fall. Right. And like you said, uh, a lot of people don't realize necessarily who haven't been in a writer's room that they it isn't like a puzzle. You are putting people of different skill sets, different backgrounds, different you know abilities and talents and everything together to try to make the best for that specific show. Right. And right? if it's a show about something specific, like you know gardeners, and you sure. just met people who come from a family of gardeners, right? And so you say, oh well, that we need that people. They didn't write the greatest script in the world, but oh, the man, everything about gardening, you know, everything about gardening, that's going to be helpful. Right. And so it's like maybe they get hired, and maybe on a over lower... you, over the other person. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like well, we'll not worry. The, the script wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible, and right. they know everything about gardening. So, right. But that's what they bring to the table or they're on a development deal with the company and right. the company wants us to use them and so let's make the studio happy right and get that person even though they're not the person i would have chosen but sure. there are politics involved so absolutely uh all that stuff happens and and there's not much you know you can fight you can fight about it but you have to pick and choose your fights yeah so uh and 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 oftentimes you make a staff and your first week of the staff, you put it together, and your first week, you know you've made a mistake. Oh, like, really? Yes, you absolutely know. Oh, my God. There's one. I hired this person, and that was a huge mistake oh. because for whatever reason, I don't, I'm not getting, they're not getting along with me. They're not hearing my ideas. They're not, I'm not liking their ideas. Mm -hmm. They're not going with the flow. There are a lot, there are a lot of negative choices in the room. They're saying no a lot to other people's ideas. Right. Or, <laughs> You know, whatever it is, right. stoppers, right? Or, or is that what they're called, stoppers? Yeah, I, yeah. I would call it. That's not a name, that's not a universal name, but there are gotcha. people who are constantly saying like, "I don't think that's a good idea," without uh, offering a better a idea. suggestion, right? Yeah, uh, or just or just trying to pull the plug on something. It's okay to not like something. Say why you don't like it and offer a better version of right. it. Right. But if the showrunner is offering this direction, try your best to go with it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's the way that. That's probably it's probably going to go unless yeah. it's unless it's going to be disaster. Unless you say like showrunner, you're not understanding that you know this this comedy you're writing about rape right. is a bad idea <laughs> right. because women are going to see it and be really offended because it's about rape. Right. And go like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that rape would be so sensitive. <laughs> right. And then but you're avoiding a horrible disaster. Right. Thank you for stopping me. But most things aren't like that. Most right. things are just a, a matter of opinion. Go with. The flow and try to find the good in what the showrunner is sort of uh, pitching. Right. That's a that's a, more helpful is to try and find the good and add, say it's an improv exercise. Say yes to that idea and add on to it. Yes sure. and. Yeah. Um, it, without naming names, do you have any specific examples of some time of a, an incident where somebody said no, yes, or had a, a reaction that stood out to you as wow, this is. You know, what made them the one person you're like, yeah, this, I made a mistake. Um, well, I mean, when somebody, when somebody pitches a joke or an idea yeah. and the showrunner says no, and then a few minutes later they pitch the same joke oh, or idea. Yeah. And the showrunner says, I, I heard it last time, but I really don't think it's, it's right for us. Right. And then 20 minutes later they picked that same joke. I really think you should do that. That's what now, now you're just wasting everybody's time. Right. That's not helpful. It's not pleasant. I mean, time and time is the real commodity in a rear room. Time is what you have to break stories. Time is what you have to make the scripts better. Time is and and believe me, time is wasted in a writer's room plenty. Sure, but don't waste it on that. Don't waste it on 
that that's more ego. That's you trying to impose your ideas on the show and show your value by pushing your idea on the show. That's not when it's your show, you right. get to do that. When you're the showrunner, right. you get to do that. When it's not your show, give it up. Right. Go 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 find something else. Um, you know, sometimes somebody will um, repeat somebody else's joke a lot. That's not great. Without giving credit, even if they give credit, uh, yeah. they'll just say like the somebody they'll here's or or just repeat a joke that was already pitched. Um, and even if it's just like we heard the joke. Mm-hmm. That's not helpful. Or um, or rephrase the joke that was said. I gotcha. Um, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes that's not. Uh, a lot of the time, I worked on a show once where the uh, showrunner broke an entire story. They liked it a lot. And then uh, a high-level writer would come in and go, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> they spent a week on it. And then, then this consultant would come and go, I don't know. And just pull threads and then not offer solutions. Right. And you're like, well, we just spent a week on this. The showrunner's happy. What are you pulling threads for? Like, right. this is not, it's not your show. You're just supposed to be here to help. Um, and, uh, and he had the relationship with the showrunner where the showrunner would kind of listen. Okay, well, let's think of something else. So that's more time wasted. Um, maybe that show would have been horrible. Maybe it wouldn't have been. I think every idea has the potential of being great. There's a way to fix most ideas. If the core idea is a value, then there's a way to make it work. If the core idea is not value, then it's the whole thing's for shit. It's right. a bad exercise. Yeah. The, the, the core idea, if it has value, which means that it has, um, it's about the human condition and really can sort of show something that we're all going through or at least something specific that the characters, those particular characters would actually go through, then it has value. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you one more Simpsons question okay. before we we uh, we uh, finish up here. Um, what is the favorite Simpsons character you've created? Well, to say I created a character is weird because I may have written a character sure. in the first draft of a script, right? And then other people rewrote it and re- like, for example, Mr. Burns is a character that I created, but I, when I created it, his name was Mr. Bellin. Okay, and then. Uh, other people renamed him Mr. Burns, and then and when I created him, he didn't say you know, um, the excellent, right? excellent. So he was it became sure. other, he was old and craggy, but right. he wasn't Methuselah, and so like, <laughs> everybody added on. So right. he became Mr. Burns through the uh, great wisdom and fun of all these other writers and other great people. So. Mr. Burns is great, is it, yeah. and Smithers is great, and all these other people. But it's it was a group effort. So sure. when I don't to say I created them is kind of a, a, okay. a egotistical. <laughs> what is the favorite Simpsons character that you helped the inception of? Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. I guess Mr. Yeah. Burns. Grandpa Simpson. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, Smithers is great. I think. Um, Were they just characters that you thought would be funny, or did they have some sort of a basis? Of people you knew or had seen or no, read? No, there were movie or yeah. archetypes. Ar- people archetypes. From, from, yeah, yeah. from movies or TV shows or, or just, you know. An amalgam the, of different. The gay assistant or the, right. uh, you know, I don't know. Just like interesting people that you want to populate the world. The Simpsons sure. was great because anybody could be in that world. Right. So you could like just, Bumblebee Man. Yeah, and... you could just put anybody in the world and they could be a character. This yeah. was Krabappel. 
she we created Kabapa. We didn't really have a character for her. She was just a teacher, sure. sort of a world weary teacher. She became more world weary and sort of you know slutty and other things after right. that. But she was just like whatever. She was Bart's <laughs> teacher, so she was annoyed. Right. Um. Uh. You know, the, the, it's a different. I you know Kent Brockman. I like the newscasters. Yeah. I like you know I don't know. The, the, we we had a lot of fun with a lot of the characters. I don't know. They were all all great, but they served a purpose in the script. Yeah. Um, more than they were just like, let's write this character. Right. Let's they, make this they really had a, weird character. We right. needed a boss, so we made Mr. Burns. Yeah, yeah. And and then we needed boss's assistant, and so we made uh, actually Smithers was created because he was giving a tour of the plant. He was just a a henchman of the oh, plant, I see. and then later he became Burns's assistant. Right. Yeah. Were there any characters that you had written into a draft that didn't end up making it that you thought, yeah, that probably, you know, like who was the worst character you created? You know, I don't remember no? any characters yeah. that we tried to create oh. that didn't show up somewhere yeah. as something. I mean, I really don't, it's not clear. I mean, maybe a character that was involved in a joke, yeah, okay. you know, right. some sort of like, uh, but a, even that like blinkies lived on. Yeah, right? I mean, people live on, live on. I mean, if they, if we did a joke about like uh, Blinky uh, the Three Eyed Fish, yeah, that was just you a know? joke. But sometimes maybe there was a joke that got cut out, gotcha. and never got animated. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, and yeah. then it wouldn't be in the universe. Right. So a joke like that, a Three Eyed sure. Fish joke that never got made. Yeah. That joke may not. Right. That per- the character may have just gone on the cutting room floor. Right. Or never been animated at all. Right. So I don't remember. Um, I guess lastly, what advice? Would you have for those writers out there who want to write comedy, who want to be, you know, writing scripted comedy? Write comedy. That's the the, the advice they, to all writers yeah. is write, right? Isn't <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. It's the thing. It's like write stuff. You mm-hmm. got to write stuff. And even though writing is hard and writing sucks and writing is sad and writing is difficult, not all the time. I know it's not always bad. <laughs> well, there is are, I have four Emmys. There is flow. There is right. moments where you go, this is good. Right. I like what I'm writing, and the, sure. it's not all bad. But right. there's a lot of times when you're writing and going, "This sucks," and I hate this, and I people are going to hate me, and all that. You have to fight through all that, and you got to get through it, and you will get through it. Turn Do you out. still have moments like that? Oh my God, yeah. Really? There's only two writers in the world who like what they write, as far as I know. Okay, who are They're they? Aaron Sorkin yes. and Stephen King. Okay, and then everybody else muddles through. Everybody, they're the only two who are like, "Ah, this is great. Right. This is great." This is great. But we all hate what we write, and we all suck it up, and we all, at a certain point... I mean, it's refreshing to hear you say that, but it's also a little daunting to hear you say that with a shelf full of Emmys, and you have the same sort of, you know, insecurities and fears, which is like, you've... I don't know. Is it hard to run a marathon? Sure. Sure. Even, yeah. if you, even, even if, if you have a gold medal, yeah, it's even, so if hard hard, yeah. even if you run a marathon, yeah, yeah. is it hard? I see where you're There's going. a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going to sweat at the end. You're right, right. going to have to have like, a lot of Gatorade and stuff <laughs> right. like that. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah it's, that's just the process. The sure. process is it's hard. Yeah. The process is you think a lot. The process is you've got to fight your demons. And the process is you've got to fight your ego. And the process is you have to really believe in the thing you're writing. And the right. process is you have to be willing to put down shit and then cross it out and fix it. And know that the first draft isn't the only draft and just get through it and make it better and keep making it better and go through draft after draft after draft right. until it gets good. You'll fall in love with it until, until it's good. You'll make it good. You'll make it something that you will eventually hate cutting any piece out of because right. you love it so much. 
but it, to get there it takes a lot of work right yeah yeah so like i'm i'm that way i have this i have i wrote this thing and now people are giving me notes on it and i'm like i can't cut any piece of it right when i first wrote it it was like this is horrible and but now i'm i'm loath to change any any moment of it right so who knows yeah yeah this is the process yeah yeah it's a weird process <laughs> but um such is life yeah yeah, yeah. so there's a right if you're a writer write then show it so that's the second part after you write it bother people show it around yeah. show it to your friends fix it when they say things that make sense to you and then show it to people that can get you jobs right and bother them and bother them a lot and not in a in psycho a nice way, way. In a nice not way. in a psycho way right. but in a way that that's endearing and you know the difference because you're not insane and just call <laughs> them and say like how would you get somebody? How would somebody get your attention? Right. If you were uh, trying to, uh, if somebody was trying to be nice to you, you'd say, "I really like you. You're a wonderful person and right. you're a lovely person. Will you read this?" Or, um, "I'm a big fan of yours. Will you read this?" I'm. A, uh, I really want your expertise in your notes. Will you read this? Right. Um, uh, you know, and if you won't read this, is there any way we can have lunch? Go and talk about uh, writing. Sure. Do you have time to do that? What do you have time to do? Right. And you think, you know, will you do a podcast with me? Whatever. Right. Like, like, like there, people are available. People will do things. People like helping. Some people do. Some sure. people don't. But you'll find them, and then right. utilize that world. Utilize that system. Right. You know, it's everybody started somewhere. There's not a person you're contacting who didn't have to do the same thing when they started out. They know exactly why you're calling them. Oh, yeah. They absolutely. know exactly why, what you want, and they're, they're aware that you need help. Do they want to help you? Maybe. They don't know you. Right. They don't know whether you're good or not. They know that a lot of people call them. Right. So, how do you stand out? How do you make yourself to be the person that they want to help? Be nice. Yeah. Don't be insane. Be nice. And then, you know, Try to call them back. If they say no or they, they forget about you, call them back and be nice. And don't be the person that emails to whom it may concern. Those get deleted. Yeah. You know. Be specific. Yeah. Yeah. Dear so-and-so, I love the last such-and-such you wrote. Absolutely. And, uh, be personal and, and uh, make them feel good about themselves. Make them feel good like that, that if they helped you. They'd be helping somebody who's a nice person and maybe even a fan. Yeah. Everybody likes to be appreciated. Absolutely. I've, I've had a number of conversations with managers that say, oh, they heard, you know, I heard you on Scripts and Scribes podcast. Mm -hmm. Now you were great, blah, blah, blah. And you sound, you know, awesome. And I was hoping you would take a look. And they say they're much more inclined to read that email at least to yep. see if the query is something that, you know, the, the log line is something they want yep. rather than to whom it may concern. Absolutely. Please read this. Yeah, show that you've at least invested the time to know them a little bit, to appreciate them, to you know. Yeah, to make a connection. Yeah, you know, a little you, bit of effort. There. It'd be like trying to make a date with to whom you to whom <laughs> it may concern. Exactly. You know, right? You know, it's yeah, like yeah, know the person's name. Hey, Veronica. Right. I, I saw you at that restaurant. And you're awesome. Right. You know, maybe let's get a drink sometime. Yeah. Not to whom it may concern. <laughs> right. I am a lonely middle-aged man right. seeking companionship. Yeah, you're not throwing a hundred hooks into the into the lake with not, no bait on them. Right. You you you, you have a script and it's interest and you want to generate interest. Right. And you know make it seem exciting. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You're a sale. You have to become a salesman at that point, which sucks. Right. Because nobody becomes a writer to become a salesman. Right. It's horrible. Right. That's the bad part about all things. Yeah. You have to be a salesman no matter what you do. Right. That sucks. Right. I don't know. I, I, there's no part of any part of life where you're not have to, where you don't have to be a salesman. Sure. But 
you say sure. Yeah, any- I don't know if, if you're an archaeologist. When you, you're sitting at that job interview, <laughs> you got to sell yourself, right? right? And you got to get a grant. Right. You got to sell yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to convince yeah, the people to let you dig where you're going to dig. You have right. to be a salesman. Yep. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing. Right. At some point, you have to sell people on what you're doing, right. and it's that's a hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Sure. Um, be sure to follow Jay on Twitter at yes. Jay Kogan, J-A-Y-K-O-G-E-N. Uh, and of course, as we mentioned, and we're going to mention it again, um, check out Songs from the Front Seat, Charlie Kogan, iTunes, Spotify, Tidal, all those places. Mm-hmm. And the new single is it's, dropping uh, the 22nd Yes, of dropping January, the 22nd. It's and it's, it's uh, called... Tr- uh, something, unmarked Track? Unmarked uh, Track? No, it's uh, Unmarked Ticket. Unmarked Ticket unmarked from ticket. Charlie Kogan. Be yes. sure to check that out. Uh, oh, I, actually, before we go, I actually did have one question. Okay. It was a listener question. I didn't want to forget this. Okay. Um, from at Film Major Regret, a.k.a. Uh-huh. Thrill House. Right. Uh, in episode, maybe this will make sense to you, 2F09, when Itchy plays scratchy skeletons like a xylophone, okay. he strikes the same rib twice in succession, right. yet he produces two clearly different tones. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are we to believe? That this is some sort of magic xylophone or something? Yes. And how would you respond to this? I would say it is a magic xylophone. You've caught <laughs> us. That's exactly it. Um, yes, this is, this is, there are many tropes that uh, Simpsons fans have gone over. This is one of them. Right. Uh, because, of course, it's such a dumb thing to pick out in a cartoon of a cartoon. Right. That, that, that there's an inconsistency <laughs> of uh, what's going on in the cartoon of Itchy and Scratchy that right. they would pick out. But it's very funny. So, very funny. Good on you. <laughs> uh, film, what is it? Film, film Major Regret. Film Major Regret. Very funny. Uh, so that's it. Thank you for your time, Jay. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. Uh, and as always, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we do this podcast to help you in your journey. Uh, so we appreciate you listening. As always, keep writing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>